Well, welcome back, everyone, to the White Tail Theories podcast. Today on the mic, we got a special guest, Dylan Burnworth. What is going on, Dylan? Nothing much, man. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad to have you. So, uh, like all the guests, I like to do a little bit of icebreakers, kind of uh, one to warm you up and then two to kind of paint the picture of who you are as a person and your hunting as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dylan, how you got into hunting, where you're from, that kind of stuff. Okay, so I'm from southeastern Ohio. Um, I've been hunting ever since I was a kid, although never really was super successful. I hunted a lot as a kid, just never got anything. Um, but the like last two, three years, I've really been hitting it hard, trying to learn how to hunt and become a better hunter. It's been a pretty good journey. Awesome. Awesome. So when you got started as a kid, did you kind of get started in small game or did you jump into whitetail hunting right away since you're kind of in the Mecca of, of whitetail deer hunting here in the East? Uh, so like my grandparents had property and like all the grandkids their kids all hunted this property I think they had like close to 80 acres and kind of just as a kid I always would go out with a gun or mainly it was gun season and set and try to get something of course like I said I never really was all that successful probably couldn't set still long enough to be honest with you <laughs> gotcha gotcha so let's kind of talk about uh the herd dynamics and that kind of stuff there, if you will, because uh, you're kind of in a special place where you're at. So I know based on the stuff that I've seen that where you're located, you could potentially shoot a two hit a 200 incher at any moment. There's just that oh. kind of quality of gear around. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're all around. So I mean, I haven't seen any on camera yet, but I like, I know like a couple miles from my house as a state park and there are massive deer running around out there for sure. Nice. Nice. So, uh, what's the population like? Is it a pretty high deer density where you're at as well? Uh, yeah, I would say so for sure. Okay. I don't really know numbers or anything on that. I just, I know there, there's definitely plenty full of deer. And quite a bit of bucks too, or is like your buck to doe ratio kind of a little bit out of whack where you got a, a ton of doe and only a handful of bucks? On my property specifically that I'm hunting, I've got like a one-to-one -one ratio probably. Really? That's awesome. Oh yeah. It's just a, a lot of the bucks are small. Like the bigger stuff doesn't come till after fall. Um, I've noticed that like my property mainly holds does and then when the whole like annual fall shift comes i just start getting bucks all over my property it's pretty wild actually that's pretty sweet you must be in uh one of those travel corridors or or one of the hubs and bucks are coming in during the rut pre-rut to get on those right does, right huh? yeah yeah i know the the buck that i shot i didn't have any pictures of him till like november 1st and he was nocturnal when he came in yeah, so that's really what the meat and potatoes of this podcast is really about, is kind of uh, that hunt. We want to recap that hunt. So why don't we talk about, why don't we get started where you and I first, because you and, you and I have been going back and forth, and we've had discussions on some various places of how to set up on your property. Uh, so right. let's start there, and then we'll go from there. Sure. 
So you joined Serviceside, what, back in September? Uh, yeah, I think it was late September. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, that's what I thought. And then um, you had reached out to me because one of the things we offer at Serviceside is one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching and just like mentorship. And I've done that with a handful of field staffers and Serviceside members in the past, help them with e-scouting, help them with uh, finding buck bedding, that kind of stuff. And you were looking for the same type of mentorship, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, growing up as a kid hunting, I, and then the last few years of me hunting, like I've just kind of self-taught dove into it and, um, tried to figure out stuff as I go, but you know, it really helped joining the mentorship and then, you know, having somebody that's been there, done that kind of helped me find stuff and figure stuff out that I probably wouldn't figured out in a good while. I'll put it that way. So what were some of the things that you were struggling with on your property? Or actually, let's, let's rewind here a little bit. Kind of paint the picture of what your property looks like as far as the, the terrain and habitat. So I've got a bunch of hills um, everywhere. And one of the main spots, there's, well, if you count the hill across the road, which is not on my property, I've got three four hill faces that all connect into a bottom and i believe you had told me that was called a thermal hub the way that was set up down there right yeah which so, that was go ahead i was going to say kind of based on what i saw on your property with uh the map that you showed me your property is really uh kind of a bunch of ridges uh funneling into a bottom that looks really, really prime for pre-rut and rut where a buck can enter and basically smell at the right time of day using the thermals, all the ridges that funnel in there uh, for does. But yeah, one I'm of the other features about your property too is it kind of connects multiple tracks of larger timber as well. It's, it's yep. almost like a pinch. Right, right. Because there's, I mean, there's some large stand of oaks, like multiple places on my property on like on ridges and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, kind of getting back to my question earlier, what do you think were some of the things that you kind of struggled with in the, in the beginning before we met, like over the past couple of seasons? Um, well, I'll be honest, when I first started hunting, like thermals, scent control, that was stuff like I never really practiced. I hear people talk about it, but then, you know, you always have those people that are like, oh, your grandpa went out and killed deer in a flannel shirt. So right. I mean, I've stepped up my game since then, but you got to start somewhere. Sure, sure. So <clears throat> outside of scent, do you think that there's maybe some other things that uh, uh, you figured out later on like after after the mentorship um that you were maybe missing in the beginning as well oh for sure like staging areas i had the food plot that i set up in that bottom and i remember calling you because i had this massive staging area just pop up and about as quick as it popped up it went away but i had found there's probably like three or four different staging areas that's all around that main food plot it's pretty wild actually because 
one of the hillsides on the left side where it comes down and the same hillside on the right, they both have their own equal staging area and it's only like a hundred yards apart. And um, the other thing about your property too that I think we uh, didn't mention is there's a lot of understory in various locations. So you've got quite a bit of bedding on your, on your property too, whether that's uh, bedding that's gonna be used for daytime, let's say a buck comes into that area and it's pre-rut-rut and he's gonna hang around till a doe comes into estrus. He'll use those, those locations for bedding. But in the flip side of that too is, it's also bedding that does will use and you'll have some of those younger satellite bucks that will post up on those ridges in that thick cover, use the thermals to their advantage and feel safe. So that, that's one of the big things I think about your property that really helps uh, keep the deer there too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I found a satellite bedding area up on top of one of the uh, main ridges. And it's just impossible to get into that. There's no way you'd be able to get up into that to take anything out just because they can sit check with the thermals going up that hill that there's, I mean, it would be rough to try to hunt that and get up there quiet to do that. Yeah. And, and, and the tough thing about your property too is you're limited on your, your access because of the surrounding properties of trying to potentially bump in and get above those bedding areas up to hunt while the thermals are still pushing up. And if, if the deer don't move by the time the thermal switches. So for example, thermals rise during the day when it's, when it's warm and then as it cools in the evening, the thermals will dry. Well, if you go to circle in behind those bedding areas and try to catch the deer coming up during the day, that's great. But if you're gonna go in for an evening sit, eventually those thermals are gonna switch and they're gonna start pulling back down the hill. And you will, your sense gonna be blowing right into them. It, right. it can make for a really, really tough scenario based on that, the access that you're relatively limited to in, in a couple of those situations. Oh, for sure, yeah. So let's, let's kind of dive into uh, your doe kill first. So walk me through how you set that up. Okay, well, that was, it's really hard to describe the property of how I was hunting there. So I went in, I'll give the layout of the property first. So there's like a four-wheeler trail, but off to the left side of the four-wheeler trail, there's like a big horseshoe shape because there's actually a cave down below the trail. Like you could go down around that horseshoe shape and actually walk up into a big cave and on the left side of that cave I had went into the springtime and I was going to try to set up a food plot in there and I had cut a bunch of growth undergrowth out and it just that forced regeneration coming back um, sprang up everywhere so there's all this low browse for deer that was there and I ended up from working on my main spot that I killed the buck at I kind of lost steam to get that food plot in and planted. So that kind of just stayed stagnant, I guess. Well, I was looking at it and uh, decided that I would set up a blind on it. And I found a trail that kind of came in that they were using. And I cut a bunch of brush to make a pinch point 
to where they only had one way to get to that browse that was coming up in that field. And I had a camera set up on it, kind of pulled my card, seen the times that they was coming in, and then hunted that accordingly. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that was, what, a family group that came in, right? Say that again. I didn't hear you. That was a family group that came in? Yeah, yeah. There was actually a bigger doe in the back, but I don't know if she thought something was up or what, but she kept going straight while the other two stepped out. Yeah. That was probably the grandma, the old granny. Uh-huh. They're, they can be tough. So That was the one I was wanting, but she, like I said, she kept on trucking, never missed a step. Mm -hmm. So what? when was that? That was pretty early in the season, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that was the beginning of October. My birthday was on the 2nd, so that would have been October 2nd. Yep, yep, I remember it was a birthday. Birthday doe, that's right. Uh, so after you after you, uh, you killed that doe, you primarily wanted to focus on bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, I figured my strategy for hunting this year was I wanted to take out a doe early season, um, take out a buck during the rut, and then I want to go out and take out a doe, you know, late season. Gotcha. Try getting old nanny or something. Gotcha. So when you transitioned to buck hunting, um, I know that when we were talking, you had quite the, the standard of, of the box that you wanted to go with, which made sense because of, of one, the property that you, you have, and then two, uh, the region that you're in. Right. So what, what were you doing to start setting yourself up? Like, what did you do just when you started buck hunting um, early season? What were you focusing on? What areas were you, were you focusing on? Talk about that a little bit. Well, I had that, that spot in the bottom, which is a thermal hub there. And there's just a bunch of traveling corridors all through there. I mean, uh, I knew that early season, like, like before even hunting season came in, I had been working on, like I said, planting a food plot down there. And that was my main spot that I was going to hunt. I had been in there since I think April doing habitat improvements and whatnot. But when I shifted my focus um, to buck hunting, I just had a bunch of cameras up and was just inventorying the deer that was coming in on that fall annual shift until I seen one that I'm like, okay, this is my target. And uh, when you and I were talking about it and you were bouncing ideas off of me, one of the things that I had mentioned was being careful about pressure, not putting too much pressure in there. Right. So, right. You were strategically hunting it when you could get in there, uh, relatively only hunting on the optimum days so that you did the best that you could to not alert any mature deer of your presence in there. But uh, what were the trail cameras telling you early? Because I, I remember that didn't really start picking up there until what like the, the 20th yeah yeah um i only had maybe like one decent shooter buck that i would consider a shooter and then just a bunch of small little spike bucks and um little sixes and stuff like that nothing that really was anything i was interested in shooting and then all of a sudden it's just a light switch um stuff started coming in it's like flicking a light switch and i had 
Um, that big buck, and I had maybe two or three others, but nothing besides the big one. When I see him, I was, that was the deer I wanted. Hey, hold on, Dylan. Are you hearing that? What it? But I, I don't hear anything on my end. Did you hear um like any like what he's speaking Spanish? No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, I had somebody come through, like literally just speaking Spanish. It sounded like they were at a baseball game or something. That was super oh, weird. weird. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, rewind, rewind, and just start back where uh, where I told you to hang on. Just start a little bit back before that. Um, I believe the question was like the deer, the bucks on my property. Yeah, yeah. So we we were talking about how uh, you limited the amount of time that you were hunting it. You were kind of saving it, and you were going to read the trail camera data uh, and decide when to get in there, so you weren't putting too much pressure on that piece. So you said the trail cameras were kind of just showing young bucks, uh, spikes, things like that, and then it blew up, and you started getting more mature deer in there. What what time frame was that? Um, that would have been early early November, like November first was actually the first picture I can remember of getting the my targeted buck. Um, maybe I had some other bucks that came in that would have been nice, but they just like came down there and left. Never got any more pictures of them or anything like that. Interesting. Now I wonder. I wonder if that would have been because the does just weren't ready, and then they were moving on to the potentially the next woodlot. You know what I mean? Right. But you also get those bucks that are just going on that that first pre rut cruise, and then they end up circling back to their core areas, or or they're migrating to their rut areas. Both both of those things happen a lot too. That's what I kind of ruled it is. Is I thought. You know, he was just cruising through to his rut area, and then that's why I didn't get any more pictures of him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of bucks as, as far as mature bucks during the pre rut stage, uh, staying on your property. Now, were most of those deer nocturnal too? Oh, yeah, yeah. My targeted buck, he was nocturnal for close to a week, and I kept getting pictures of him coming in and stuff. And I actually was sick laying in bed. I had to, you know, self-report from work with the, the whole COVID stuff. I was at home sick with a sore throat laying in bed and I rolled over my uh, Tacticam reveal went off, rolled over and grabbed my phone. And it was a picture of him in daylight hours. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to end up missing this buck. You know what the what the date was for that? Um, I can look. <coughs> Bear with me here. I'm looking. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I can just edit this this little gap out, so it's no big deal. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, of course, now I'm going to have to look through all these pictures. 
Um, let me see if I can find it back through our conversation tail. I know I had pictures of him November 1st for sure um, on the scrape. I found some of the pictures where he was in daylight, but I didn't take the timestamp on him. Let me look at a calendar. So he came in would have been uh, November 5th. And I was going to say, I thought it was around the 4th. Yeah, it would have been the 5th. Yep, yep, that's exactly what I see. 4.30 on the 5th is when he sent it to me. Yep. So, and I know I've been told from quite a few other hunters and whatnot that I've talked to that are my friends and stuff. They were like, you need to get out there and start pulling all day sets. If he showed up in daylight hours, you've got a very narrow window. I believe you even told me this as well. I got a very narrow window if I want to be able to capitalize on that time and take him out. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I said those exact same words. I think, I think when you told me, when you sent me the pictures, I said, hunt it tomorrow and sit all day if you can. Right. Yeah, because it is, it is a short window. Um, they either end up getting locked up with a doe or they'll chase a doe and who knows where they're going at that point. That's one of the tough things about the rut. You can have a buck show up that you've never seen at any moment. But the flip side of it too is if you are running cameras, especially like cell cams, and you get a good buck on the on camera, that buck mm -hmm. might not be back ever or not until the following year. And that, that was your chance. Right. And that's what I had thought happened. Now, the issue I had with going out that Saturday is I was sick. I had a fever, sore throat, and I was coughing. And I wanted to go hunt it so bad. Like, if I just had a fever and a sore throat, I'd have no problem setting out of my blind. But you can't be out there coughing, you know? Right. And I ended up waiting. It wasn't until Sunday that, you know, I was taking cough medicine and everything I had to. And that's when I started pulling those all-day sets was on a Sunday. And I think the Red Moons paired, like, that Sunday, I believe, was a Red Moon week. Interesting. So I, I, I it want was to... that Sunday, the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, which the tenth is the day of the harvest, all red moon days. Hmm. So I don't really know a whole lot about. I don't. I shouldn't say I don't know a whole. Lot. I don't really go down the rabbit holes of the red moon and the moon phases and stuff like that. Uh, I <laughs> am a firm believer in the. And I shouldn't really say firm believer, but I, I do. There's, I do believe that there's something to overhead and underfoot moves as far as animal movement. Uh, but with that being said, do you want to kind of talk about that a little bit, Dylan? Um, I'm no expert. I mean, I got the Red Moon Guide, and um, I kind of use that to help plan my vacation days from work. You know, if I get like a big well, I had the two things that was going on there was um, like peak rut was supposed to be November 11th in my area. So you have that build up to peak rut and then it's paired with red moon phase. So that was kind of my 
I had pulled, planned to hunt that time for probably like a month in advance. And it just, you know, everything all kind of fell in its place and it worked out. It all lined up. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. So that guy basically tells you uh, when the highest deer movement is going to be during that, that moon phase, correct? Correct. And it'll tell you like to key in on bedding areas or edges of fields. And it just tells you based off of the moon what the best places to hunt would be according to the moon. Gotcha. That gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. So walk us through the, uh, the day of the hunt. Okay. Well, leading up to that hunt, I had set 72 hours in a blind from sunup to sundown. Uh, that was not enjoyable, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, I seen some little spike bucks and does and whatever, which was kind of nice. But, you know, I was out there for one reason. Um, the day of the hunt actually went super fast. So I walk into my, my spot and I get all paranoid as I'm approaching my spot because, you know, it could be in there eating off the food plot or something and then jump it out. And that, there goes my chance there. Well, as I was walking in, there was two, there was a doe and a little spike buck that was down there. And I didn't know this. I couldn't see them at the time, but I jumped those out and I told myself, I was like, oh, that's probably my targeted buck the way my luck is. And I was like, well, I'm hunting anyways. I reached into one of my, as I was walking past one of my cameras, I opened it up and I pulled the SD card out of it, had a card reader in my pocket. And I was like, well, I'll see what it was to be sure. And I get into my blind, get all set up with my bow. And I pull my card reader out, plug in, and I'm looking at it. And it was just like I said, a little spike buck and a doe. Well, then I had moved. I was doing some scouting on the other side of my property. And I had moved my tactic cam reveal over there to get... Um, I actually, I think you had seen it. It was really, the really big rubs. I wanted to see what was, um, what had put those there, see if I get pictures of it. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Um, I, I had these massive rubs just spring up on my property. So my camera goes off and I get a nice picture of a buck as I'm sitting in the blind. And I screenshot that and I send it to my wife. And I'm like, well, I'd be my luck. I'm sitting over here and this buck comes in at that new spot. Just as about as I send that to her and we're talking back and forth, I look up and it's my targeted buck coming off this hillside. And I'll tell you what, just seeing, I've never seen a deer that big in the wild. Um, like we got Jurassic Park that's down the road and there's massive deer that are in there, uh, but it's all behind, you know, a fence. Never seen nothing that big, just really running around. Like instant adrenaline rush is the only thing I can say there. <laughs> Um, so he's coming in and there was actually a big primary scrape that he could have went to if he went left and to the right was, there's like two or three scrapes. One of them had actually, I noticed when I was walking in that morning had just sprang up there overnight. So I don't know if he was there in the nighttime and, uh, made that scrape and was like checking it or something. But if he would have went left, I'd have never had a shot on him. He ended up stopping right in between them. And it was like he was deciding on what he wanted to do for the morning. And he came right, got right in front of me. I was actually shaking so bad I had a hard time ranging him. Um, just the biggest adrenaline rush like I 
I, I think I've ever had in my life. Um, I was able to get him range though, and he ended up being right at 20 yards. Um, he was quartering to me, which a lot of people would say would be a risky shot to take. Um, I got a crossbow that shoots 425 feet per second. I was shooting like a 450 grain arrow. So I, I knew I'd be able to blow right through him. And I kind of put it in front of his shoulder and shot. He jumped up and he ran away. He like mule kicked, ran out of the area. And I just backed out. I didn't want to like pressure him. I felt that I put a good shot on him, but I didn't want to like instantly start the track and then lose him or something. Right. So I backed out the longest two hours I ever waited in my life before I went back in there to uh, start tracking him. And I get in there, start tracking him. I think it was only like me and my dad. I had my dad come with me. I think it was like 40 yards away. He ended up landing. Dang, that's awesome. I, I heard him crash while I was in the blind, but I didn't know that's him crashing. I thought he like jumped over a limb and it broke or something. That's the second deer you shot like that too, right? Your doe you shot for into, didn't you? Uh, she was straight on. Okay. And how far did she go? Um, I'm wanting to say it was about the same 40, 50 yards, but in her case, it was different because she kind of like looped out and ran straight down into a really steep ravine. Gotcha, gotcha. And once she got down in there, I mean, she was done. There was no going up, back up out of that. Right. So he didn't go far, huh? What was uh, what was your, your uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What was your reaction then? To like the like tracking through the blood trail or like finding yep, yep. him? Or? Yep. After you um, found him, the whole deal. The blood trail, I actually, because I filmed all this, um, the blood trail, I was getting really excited because there were spots that was probably three or four foot spray, like left. Like to my left and to my right, it was at least three, four feet wide. Um, he was just putting blood down. I was finding it on trees, on sticks, um, everywhere. And it was just every step I took, the closer I got to him, it was just like, oh, wow. I mean, it was just amazing the amount of blood that this thing had put out in a 40 yard, 40 yard span. That's pretty cool. So what did he end up? Did you get him scored? Um, not yet. I talked to a scorer. Um, he told me that he thought it would be 100 based off a of pitcher. He told me that he thought um, it would score 145, but it had some deductions that he thinks it would be an Ohio big buck. Nice. Congratulations. To, to try to get it scored for an Ohio big buck. But I, he said you also got to wait 60 days, I think it is. Yeah, you got to wait the 60-day drying period. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's cool. So uh now that you've had you've gotten you've gotten a big one under your belt and you've went through kind of this mentorship process, what are mm -hmm. your plans and what are your goals for next year? Uh what are some of the things that you feel like you need to work on as far as like your own hunting skills? What are things you want to improve on and build upon? Um I think it'd be really cool to learn the spot and stock. And I also thought like goal wise, um, I got that public property, the public land. Mm -hmm. I think it's like 17, 
thousand acres, I think total, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd like to kill something that size on public ground. That's awesome. That's quite the goal, but you're in the land to do it. Right, right. I have a lot of people, even people that live around me, that I'm, I, I mentioned that I want to kill something like that on public land, and they're like, oh, good luck with that. I think mm -hmm. it can be done, though. No, but if you set those goals, man, you can definitely achieve them if you work hard. Uh, right, right. So I know you're going to be doing a little bit more habitat management on your property. Uh, what are your plans for postseason? Are you going to potentially hit up that piece of public and, uh, and scout it and start doing some postseason scouting once uh, your late season's over? Uh, yeah, actually, as close as I am to the public land, I want to start scouting to uh, be able to offer hunt swaps to people. I think I'd really like to get into that with uh, being a serviceide, and also a lot of habitat improvements. I learned so much, like the big stands of oaks that are on my property and kind of where stuff's bedding now that if I could enhance those features on my property and make them more appealing to the deer, I feel like I'd get bigger stuff coming in and actually like sure. staying in my land holding it. Yeah, for sure. You know, a really good person within the serviceide, a couple of good guys in the serviceide community to reach out to for uh, habitat advice are, uh, or is uh, Corey McConnell. He works, he's one of our, he's, he's a point of content, point of contact at AccuForage. Uh, he went to Penn State for, for habitat management. And then also Tyler Peter, he's a field staffer. Uh, he has his own uh, habitat management uh, consulting company. Both guys are great, great resources. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to uh, utilize that and check it out. I know I was actually looking at, you say it's Acura Forage? Acura Forage. Acura Forage. I was actually looking at some of the uh, discount codes and whatnot and seeing that, and I was thinking about ordering some of that I stuff. Would, I would highly property. recommend trying out their stuff. They got some really, really good stuff, and they do all their seed blends in-house. Uh, really, really good quality seed, uh, ton the, the amount of tonnage that you get per bag is, is very, very high as well. So it's not like it's getting filled with a bunch of fillers and, and garbage and stuff. But yeah, just reach out to Corey. He'll definitely help you out there. Definitely have to do that. I know um, the food plot that I planted, I, I pretty much went to Walmart and every farm store around. And I just got a bunch of seed of different various like mixed food plot seeds that you can buy. And like mm -hmm. none of it took. I had some clover. That was it. Out of all the stuff I planted, like clover and a few brassicas, I think. And um, that's more or less all my food plot house was the clover and brassica. Yeah. I, I ended up going later season and I planted a, a winter rye. Uh -huh. And that's still down there. That's like done the best in the swampy land that I'm hunting in. Yeah, definitely get with Corey. He'll help you out with that, all that stuff. Uh, for sure well is there is there anything else that you wanted to touch on here dylan um no i can't really think of anything what about you torn no I'm, I'm excited to see i mean based on the year that you had this year i'm really excited to see what you do next year uh and maybe maybe do some uh, out-of-state hunts. I know we've been, we've been talking back and forth about maybe hunting together and, and getting on some public out there. I've been wanting to venture back out to Ohio for a while. Uh, 
my one buddy's been hassled me to go out there. So. Oh man, you make it out this way. I'll definitely try to make it worth your time or anybody as far as hunt swaps, that kind of stuff goes. I'm actually, like I said, I want to set up a spot to have people come to Ohio and hunt. Well, I know one of the big things uh, that I've been getting asked for is to move the backpack hunt around and mm -hmm. Ohio is one of the states that I've been considering. I think a lot of people would be attracted into going one to Ohio and then two, um, it's out of Pennsylvania. So people that say that we, we only host events in PA that that might not be happening, happening here in the very future. We'll, we'll move the backpack hunt uh, out of state to, to maybe Ohio and then everybody will have a chance at getting on some of those slobs out there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. Actually, I part of the reason I really want to get into the hunt swaps too, um, and more than willing to like host it out near me and try to set up a spot, is just to hunt with different people. I feel like everybody kind of has their own tactics and the things that they do that, you know, if you can get out in the woods and hunt with somebody else and they have a different style or a different way of doing stuff and you can pick that up, it's only going to make you a better hunter. 100%. I 100% agree with you. If, if you can if you can tag team off of various people and, and you have an open mind and you're willing to learn, there's a lot of really, really good information and, and tactics and, and skill sets out there that you can pick up and add to your hunting tool belt, if you will, and, and become a better hunter. That's, that's something that I always try to focus on every season is like, what did I do wrong? What, have, what could I have done better? And how am I going to make it better for the following season? Right, right regardless if I was successful or not. So with that being said, uh, Dylan, what do you think now, granted you shot that big buck, but what's something that you think that maybe you could have did a little, a little differently or you would do differently based on your, your uh, 2021 hunting season? Um, I, I definitely think I wasn't happy with like the food plot. I put a lot of work into that. I mean, I, I was out there, like I said, in April, clear cutting trees out of that and like mowing the swampland and just preparing to plant seed. And I just really wasn't happy with um, the food source that I gave them based off of the work that I put in to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I noticed like how you said, I've got a bunch of bedding on my property, which I do. I'd really like to get some sort of grasses or something to enhance the bedding. Um, I like feather the bedding out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great idea. Um, that's actually something that I've been trying to uh, convince one of my buddies on his property is to, he's got pockets of bedding on his, but like then literally right outside of that bedding, there's relatively no understory. I said, why don't you just try to feather that bedding out a little bit, provide more understory so that you're getting a little bit more daytime movement deer feel more comfortable moving in daylight hours um, outside of bedding they're not waiting and they're, they're not waiting until the last half hour before light. right exactly and i mean if you got that food source that's right on top of that bedding and you've got the bedding that's there as well i mean it's kind of a home run in my opinion right right exactly because they don't have to move that far like you said exactly all right dylan well so where can the listeners follow you, see your hunting content. Uh, if they want to bounce any questions off of you, uh, if they want to hook up with you potentially for a hunt swap uh, out in Ohio, how do they get in contact with you? Give, give us some of your social uh, media. Uh, yeah, so 
you go on uh, YouTube, it's Burnworth Outdoors. Um, my Instagram is Burnworth Outdoors. And if you want to find me on Facebook, it's Dylan Burnworth. And you have the kill on your YouTube channel, correct? Uh, I'm currently editing that video. And then after I get it edited, I'm going to put it on YouTube and you guys will have it as well. All right. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. I'll have all Dylan's social media in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dylan, for hopping on. Uh, oh, and no problem. Taking time you out of your day to kind of walk us through uh, your season recap. Oh, yeah. It's great. Great. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitetail Theories podcast.